0: Ah, well, what are you going to do? So, Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> should, we, should, we, should we start the show? Yeah, let's start the show. Might as well. Where, where are we starting exactly?
1: Well, I figure... I do have the two preludes on my iPad ready to go if you want to look at, look at those at all. Oh, by the way, my notes are nowhere close to page by page because we had, you know, six issues. No. I have, like, a half dozen thoughts on each issue.
2: No, that's what okay. I, fear, I was going to say. That's what I fear we're going to do. It's a whole... We're doing the whole war. We're just going to talk about the whole thing in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, like okay. when I just when I do the synopsis later, I'm not going to do. It'll probably be longer than, my, than a normal one because it's several issues, but it's not going to be as detailed. Let's say as an issue synopsis, it's going to be a general, you know, Hulk fought Thor, and then you know, Valkyrie beat swordsman. You know, <laughs> without getting too much into details on everything
0: because you are trying to cover the whole thing. Okay. Okay. So that we don't works. go too crazy. I don't have any notes. I'm I'm going to be I'm going to I have it on my I have it on my Kindle sitting in front of me. I'm looking at the cover of uh, Avengers 115 right now and I was just going to pretty much uh uh riff on wherever we are in the course of the narrative. So
2: Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and today we have not one, but two returning hosts. Or Woo. Co-hosts. We have Brian Zeno. Howdy. And John Wilson. Hello. Apparently sexy, John Wilson. Oh, my. Hey,
1: no. This is this is going to be your first reach-around podcast? No, Oh. Yeah. No.
0: Well, it is my first three-way podcast, so you know. Hey, hey. Hey. That is true. <laughs> that is very true. You're expanding your horizons, Al. We're so proud of you. Our little Al is growing up.
1: I brought the ice cubes just in case. I don't know what that means, though, but I have them.
2: Uh, ice cubes are good. Make your drink, you know, keep it cold. Yes.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, I, I am ready. because Well, well the, re- the reason, you want to say why we're all here together yes. for this momentous occasion?
2: All here, because we're going to talk about a rather large story. It's about, what, six, seven, eight issues, depending uh, on where, where, where you consider it to begin and end. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it's a little vague, really. You can count, like, a couple different beginnings and endings of this
0: story. Yes, yes. And it's and, so
1: big, it managed to make room for single-panel cameos... Of oh. my character and Brian's character.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, we are talking about the Avengers Defenders War from the Bronze Age. The first one of the first real crossover stories mm-hmm. and so large and crossover story. I mean, large crossover stories, not just I mean, we've had plenty of those. You know, we had what? Fantastic Four, 25 and 26 where the Avengers are in with the FF fighting the Hulk.
1: But I think this is the this is the first time you've had a multi-part story where chapter 1 was in one book, chapter 2 is in another book, and you had multiple titles with a narrative that goes back and forth. I don't think this had ever been done before.
2: Yeah, the first official one. I mean, we've had some unofficial stuff. We've had the first appearance of the Defenders really, which was in a uh, there was two issues of Submariner which had Submariner, Silver Surfer and Hulk fight uh team okay. up. And then there also was an issue each of Doctor Strange, Hulk and submariner which had the doctor strange teaming up of both of them which is kind of like Oh a you're right
1: you're or, right yeah okay but
2: and even the rutland vermont issues
0: and and not to get too into the weeds i seem to recall like way way back in the uh uh stanley werner roth days of uh x-men there was one story that actually there was one half of it was in avengers and one half of it was in x-men and uh like it was the first time those two teams had met so perhaps
1: um, this is the biggest one of its types. But this story.
0: is the first, this is the first one where I think it went on and on and back and forth. And that's what I was going to ask was, is this was the first like running storyline of this size, not yeah. counting like subplots bubbling along, but like, like a single narrative that took eight whole 22 page comic books, well, 20 page comic books to, to, to tell from beginning to end.
2: Yes, I believe so. Like I said, those other ones were precursors; they were leading up to it. You know, like they'd have a little, you know, one or two, you know, two or three characters crossing over in one or two books together. Like I said, the mm-hmm. Hulk, Doctor Strange, Namor, or even like the Rutland, Vermont issues, where they
0: kind of all take place in that same area. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know, if you know, what I'm talking about for those. Yeah, I I, I know that they made appearances. That Rutland, Vermont Halloween parade made its appearances in both Marvel and DC comics back in the 70s.
2: Yes, and in fact, a lot of times they would work together where they would have, I know there's a few of the issues, I forget which ones, but there's a few of them where something would happen off panel in one book, in like in a Marvel book, and you would see it happen on panel in the DC book. Huh. Like somebody's car would get stolen, but you wouldn't see it, and then you would see the person, you would see actually that car get stolen by somebody in the DC book interesting sort of it was
0: sort of neutral ground
2: and in fact one of those Rutland Vermont issues is the
0: issue of Thor uh, 207 they've mentioned where Loki gets blinded okay okay that was the that was the lead-in issues sort of uh, preliminary material issue that I did not. Go and read in the uh, preparation for reading the Avengers Defenders War. I went and read the the Fantastic Four issue number fifty four from nineteen sixty six. I went back and read uh, Avenger uh, Defenders number four, and I also went back and read whatever issue of Hulk it was that that sort of began. Barbara Norris slash Valkyrie story, but I did not go and read Thor number 207.
2: Yeah, well, I only read that because that was part of the Friends and Enemies a few episodes ago, so...
0: Yeah.
3: Uh,
2: I, I was like, oh, I read this. But yes, to answer, get back to the original question, yes, this, I believe, was the first time they actually did something this big, where it was an official thing. Those other ones were still unofficial crossovers. You know, they worked <laughs> together, but this was actually official. Like, this is part one. You go next here. They actually right. said, go to Defenders. Then you come back to Avengers. Then you go to Defenders.
1: It was a big summer event to celebrate 10 years of the Avengers.
0: Ah, which, okay. That makes um,
1: sense. Yeah, it had begun in 1963 and it was now 1973. Steve Englehart is a not super new writer. I think he picked up around 105 or 106 maybe. Whenever Roy Thomas left, Steve, Eng- Steve Englehart took over. Yeah, and somewhere so after 100. He's brought in the mantis and he's brought in the swordsman characters that he's going to use a lot during his run. He's uh, started playing with the romance between the vision and the Scarlet Witch, which is going to be a big part of his run. Um,
0: yes. Yep. Shortly and, before the uh, uh, shortly before the Avengers Defenders War, we did have a couple of issues where uh, them having a public sharing a public kiss led to like a whole prejudice storyline where they tried to murder the vision and etc. So yeah, you, he was using that a lot in his writing.
1: Right, and you get a little bit of the sentiment from that coming out in the final scenes of this story. Mm-hmm. But you also have um Steve Englehart had picked up the Defenders once they got there ongoing. I don't think he wrote any of the preliminary stories, but once they got there ongoing, he picked that up. And so he's been telling his story over there, which actually this story wraps up his run on the Defenders. He does not stay with the book after this.
0: Oh, interesting. But, okay.
1: But yeah, so this is... He's writing Captain America right now. He's writing The Avengers. He's writing The Defenders. He's going to have such a huge hand on the Marvel Universe of the 1970s before he uh, unceremoniously leaves Mm -hmm. and and, and ditches Marvel. And um, whose fault that is depends on who you're asking.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. I have to go back and look at my uh, copy of Marvel, The Untold Story by Sean Howe and see uh, what he has to say on the topic.
1: Yeah, because Stephen will say that his editors are being overbearing, and his editors will say that Stephen Gohart never got his stuff in on time, and mm-hmm. they had to put they had to put books out. So, probably a little from A, a little from B. But in any case, yeah. the Avengers Defenders War.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, which this is a combination of a lot of subplots. I mean, there's the Black Knight thing going on, uh, or continuation. There's the Loki being blind, Hawkeye mm-hmm. leaving the Avengers.
1: And the and, Black Knight uh, uh, got turned into stone, and that's, that's part of the catalyst for coming in here, cause the Avengers know the Black Knight, they invite, they invited him for membership, but he was doing other stuff at the time, so he's been turned into stone, and the whole thing starts with them going to check on him.
2: Yes, cause they had called for, requested for help. Actually, you know what, we probably, we're starting to get into it, so let's hold, pause for a second here, and then we'll get back to this in a second, so I can drop the synopsis for everybody. The Avengers Defenders War ran from issues 115 to 118 of Avengers, and issues 8 through 10 of The Defenders. They had a cover dates of September 1973 to December 1973, and they were on sale between June 19th and September 11th of that year. cover price for all these issues was $0.20, cents, and the writer for all these was Steve Englehart. The art was by Bob Brown and Sal Buscema. Inking these books was Mike Esposito, Frank McLaughlin, Frank Giacomoa, and Frank Bull. The letterers were Gene Simic, John Costanza, June Braverman, Tom Oroshefsky, Gaspar Saladino, Charlotte Jeter, and Artie Simic. Coloring was by Stan Goldberg, Petra Goldberg, and George Rousseau. Editing all this mess was Roy Thomas, and the cover art for these issues was by John Romita Sr., Mike Esposito, John Costanza... Bob Brown, Gaspar Saladino, and Sal Busima. Before this story, the Black Knight had been turned to stone while assisting the Defenders, made up of Doctor Strange, the Hulk, Submariner, Silver Surfer, Valkyrie, and Hawkeye. They are trying to cure him and believe they have been contacted by the Knight's spirit, telling them that the assembled pieces of the evil eye will cure him. In reality, this is the team of Loki and the Dredramanu impersonating him. While this is happening, the Avengers, currently made up of Captain America, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Iron Man, Thor, Swordsman, Mantis, and Black Panther, are checking on the knight, since he never responded to their recent summons for assistance. Tracing the knight to Doctor Strange's residence, they see the sewn knight. In typical Bronze Age Marvel fashion, both teams learn enough of what is going on to be both searching for the evil eyepieces, but they think the other team has turned evil. Since the pieces of the Eye have been scattered around the world, both teams split up to search for them, and take on each other. Captain America faces off against Namor, the Vision and Scarlet Witch against Silver Server, Iron Man vs. Hawkeye, Swordsman vs. Valkyrie, Mantis and the Black Panther vs. Doctor Strange, and of course, Thor vs. Hulk. For the most part, the Defenders are able to defeat the Avengers until Namor decides they need to think, yes, Namor and not blindly fight, and talks to Captain America, yes, still that Namor, finally talking to each other, the two teams realize they've been actually set up, and take on Loki and Dormammu together. At the end, everyone has been taken out except for the Scarlet Witch, who is able to cause the reassembled evil eye to focus on the villains, scattering the atoms of Dormammu, for now, and causing Loki to go mad. Oh, and the knight is still stone, although he does get turned back human in the next issue of defenders after the story ends
0: i prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night searching for justice blind justice a guardian devil
1: (coughs) no 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 that's not actually true i'm not daredevil blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night no i am j david Weeder, a podcaster but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil
0: comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet
1: Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil podcast. Did I really just say take the dare?
2: And we're back. So, yes, so John, you were saying that Black Knight had been made, turned into stone.
1: And so the Avengers are, you know, they're coming to check on him because I think they called out for help and he didn't respond. And so yes, they,
2: uh, they fought Magneto in 110 or 111. Because I did read that. Mm-hmm. They fought Magneto. And they their help came as Daredevil and Black Widow. Cause yeah, that's going to help a lot against Magneto. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, you know, and the thing is nowadays it really would. You have, you know, uh, under most circumstances these days, uh, in the modern era, uh, Black Widow will help against just about anything. She's one of the most capable costumed adventures, uh, in, in, in comicdom. But you're right. In the early seventies, she hadn't yet been established as the, you know, badass Uber Alice that she is these days. Yeah, I mean they did help because they beat him. They
2: That's true. To. And uh, they offered her membership, and she was a member for two issues, and then mm-hmm. she left.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, no, and I, I did, I did read those. She had actually sort of been an ancillary member for a lot of time back in the mid '60s in the Roy Thomas days, because she, you know, in, in her in her fishnets and uh, beehive hairdo days. Because <laughs> oh, when she had been, the veil. <laughs> yeah, because because she'd been hanging around. She was dating Hawkeye, and she was sort of his love interest. So she was on a lot of adventures with the Avengers in those days. Even though I, at that time, she was not an official member of the team. Kind of like Mantis right now, because I don't think Mantis is an
2: official member. So I my Red Swordsman joining him. Right. Mantis was like, no, I'm not joining. I'm just here with
0: him. Exactly. Yeah, they, so. they don't,
1: she, she doesn't actually become a member until she's almost out of the book. But she's along because she is uh, Swordsman's love interest. The funny thing is that she's going to have so much of a heavier hand in the plot than he will. Um, <laughs> but he, it, it's it's crazy because there's all this stuff with all these subplots and the fact that it's a huge crossover. And um, you have elements from different stories leading in it to make this the culmination of all that. It feels like Steve Englehart is writing modern comics. Before modern comics,
0: yes, that is true. I have made a lot of noise of late about what, in effect, having a single creative voice at the uh, head of whatever property you're discussing, like like what a difference that can make, just to having a story that feels like it's going somewhere. And you're absolutely right that this is might be one of the first real concrete examples of that going on, and uh, along in a longer storyline.
2: Yeah, because there's so much stuff, like even the lead up to the, the, the war, where stuff leads into each other. I mean, when the Avengers go to check on, like we said, go to check on the Black Knight, because he never responded back to even say, oh, sorry, I was busy, I couldn't help you at the time. And this is after Black Knight had been turned to stone, so Doctor Strange had sealed off his castle to keep it safe. And, and the Avengers is- can't get in, and they're now, like, they're, and they're attacked by, what, these troglodytes that live underneath because they couldn't get in to steal food.
1: That's- it's like a comedy of errors. They 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 barge their way into Doctor Strange's mansion because Wong won't let them in, and Captain America sees the statue of the Black Knight through a doorway before they're ousted from the mansion. Doctor, and so they they blame Doctor Strange for kidnapping Black Knight. Doctor Strange has no effing clue this is going on, because he's with the Defenders doing a seance trying to get contact the Spirit of the Black Knight and help him and save him.
2: And he even and, uh, he even comments on that saying, I don't know what that is, and I don't care. <laughs>
0: right, and can I just can I just say that that is in fact one of the elephants in the room for me reading this. For as much as the 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 scope and scale of this story taking place over eight issues um, is uh, in a way a sort of proto modern style of storytelling. At the same time, a lot of I don't know if you'd call them early Bronze Age or even like sort of carryovers from the Silver Age sort of storytelling tropes, are very much in evidence here, chief among them, as you are both describing here, being the t- characters are written almost universally as like super hotheads uh who are just like as good at nothing more, like... They aren't as good as anything as they are at leaping to conclusions. So you know, there's a lot of brute force storytelling here. There's a lot of stuff like, for instance, what you just said, where Doctor Strange literally says in his dialogue, "I don't care what that is. We have time for nothing but what we are doing here to save the Black Knight." And that it, just it, seems like kind of br- brute force storytelling to me. There is
1: and in, that in the in the occasion where you have an exception to that, such as at the end of the uh, during the course of the first fight, when Scarlet Witch is like, "Hey." That's the Silver Surfer. We know him; he's cool. But before she has a chance to to like act on this and Mm -hmm. and put a stop to the fight, she's accidentally harmed Mm -hmm. by the actions of the Silver Surfer, which drives the Vision over the edge with fury, with Mm -hmm. his you know robotic Mm -hmm. angst you know drive. And so the, the 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 battle is is launched anew. So every every time somebody's not a hothead. They don't. don't have a chance to calm things down until exactly. eventually we get to the the midpoint of the story when Captain America and the Submariner stop and say, okay, well, and actually
2: let's talk. Like, and is, the amusing part is when Namor says, all right, hold on, we need to calm down, people. Yeah. Everyone's like <laughs> yeah. a little too
0: nuts.
1: But if <laughs> Namor is saying we need to calm down, you know things are out of control. Yeah, when when he Namor's is the most the
0: level-headed person, person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> you well, have a problem. He
1: was more level headed in the 40s. He actually has a more rounded head now.
0: <sighs> yes. but I'm uh-huh. Sure. Uh-huh. I, I see what you did there. But the other thing that, that, that goes on here, and this is just, and be, then I will uh, leap back into the uh, ongoing action, but as we're addressing sort of the uh, uh, techniques in which this story is told, um, the other thing I notice is that when people do have rational Thoughts that 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 are not leap to conclusion sort of things. I notice that they very resolutely will keep them to themselves. They will actually cut off their hot headed, challenging dialogue in order to think the level headed rational conclusion to themselves in a thought bubble. Like I re- just remember distinctly the swordsman doing this later on in his fight, and and I'm just thinking to myself, all if only he had said that out loud. This entire. If only Woody had gone straight to the police, this never would have happened.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, th- and that's pure comics. You have two people uh-huh. in the same room who are thinking thoughts that will draw them together. Right. But uh, angst and circumstance are driving them apart.
0: Exactly. And if
1: they would just open up their thought balloons to voice.
0: And speak things. you know,
1: Peter so- would have married Betty Brant. If- <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: so maybe <laughs> if they if had just th- talked to each other. So maybe it's a good re- thing they didn't. That's a fair point. I will buy. I will. I will go with you on that. But uh, one quick question here, because uh, when when the Avengers visit the Black Knight's castle, the captions call him the only Britain-based Avenger, not British, Britain-based. And then two panels later, they call him our Amer- emigrated American ally. I was always under the impression that Dane Whitman was in fact British. Oh, I thought he was American. Okay, yes, he's American. Okay, well, then I stand corrected. ever since I was reading like under Siege as a kid, I thought he was a British. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, 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 he is
1: so associated with Britain over the years that he may the fact that he's American may have been subsumed or ignored you know lately, but he did have his origins in the States. His uh, uncle, the first Black Knight, um, was Jason
0: Garrett, right?
1: Yeah, a random dude in the states who fought Giant Man. So American random bad guy has American random nephew who eventually gets associated with England because he gets associated with his ancestor, the original Black Knight from the 1950s comics, who actually was British. And so he finds his mission over there.
0: Okay, that's okay. Now I now I get that. So, okay, cleared up. Yeah, he is American. Uh, But I think at this point by now,
2: he probably is like Madonna. He has a whole British accent and they probably just stare at him. (laughs) Dude, pretentious
0: get you.
1: You're from New York. Are you the Black Knight or the Yank Knight? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Fortunately, they don't have to deal with this in, in this storyline because for the most part of it, he's turned to stone and doesn't actually speak, so. Yes. Right. <laughs> he doesn't get to say much. And what he does, gets, you know, corrupted anyway. But real yeah. quick,
2: I just want to go back real quick what we said about the hotheadness real quick. I just have a question now, because a lot of the hothead nut stuff I could actually deal with because for a lot of the characters, it fits. I mean, for one thing, reading all the Defender stuff leading up, Doctor Strange is kind of a bit of a dick. Okay, yeah. He kind of yes. just assumes he's in charge, and he just kind of like barks orders at people, and he just assumes that whatever I'm saying is right, so don't worry about it. So the whole thing about him saying I don't care what it is reads true to me, because Doctor Strange has decided what's important is this thing of the Black Knight, so nothing else is important.
1: Well, it certainly I'll, makes i would agree with that. Yeah, but the, the, ha- the
2: he- I'm sorry. Sorry, go on. Finish what you're saying first.
1: I was going to say that the hot-headedness is often written the circumstances and lead-up to it helps to give it reason and substance. It's not just people are being irrational.
2: Now, the one that really got, got me, though, the one that seemed to be the most out of character for me, though, was Captain America, and he's Bingo, yes. Now, my question is, for you guys, I don't know how much of your reading of this time period of Captain America has done, this is when he has his super... He has the super strength again.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Does, and I know he that, that does go away eventually. Was that part of a story where maybe, like, the, the, is that part of the reason why he loses the super strength? Was it affecting him mentally? Because you tell me that, I could actually go, oh, well, that makes perfect sense now.
1: That's never explicitly said that it had that effect on him. Um, honestly, I don't...
2: Because I know you've gotten up to, like, the 190s, John. Yeah, it
1: feels like a bit of a reach to, to connect the two. I think it was just, I mean... And it's a little bit odd because Steve Englehart is writing Captain America. Now I will say this: Captain America's life at this point in time is a shitstorm.
0: That I mean, is, there is true. There's so the,
1: much going on
0: right this now. This is the secret about the time of the Secret Empire, right?
1: And Nick Fury has ousted him from Shield, and um, he's he's having difficulties with Sharon Carter because of the the Shield um, trauma drama, and it's just. It's not a good time in Cap's life right now.
2: So, okay, so it's not, so the, but it could be, there is an actual reason you could find without having to dig too hard as opposed to just, oh, I guess Steve Engelhardt just likes writing Cap as a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> there's stuff, there's, his life's in complete and utter turmoil. More so yeah, than
1: normal. Yeah, Eng, is actually a really solid cap writer. He's of the first, he starts in suspense 59 and I'm on 205 in the run that I've read. Engelhardt's my favorite cap writer so far.
2: Okay. Okay, so I can go with that then. Okay, like I said, because that was the one that really stuck out to me the most, because the others either went by, like we said, it was either the character or, you know, for the character like the Doctor Strange or the situation. I mean, Vision, He's the whole thing is, you know, hit the Scarlet Witch just popping up, so this is kind of like Vision's actually expressing his emotions for the first time, and then she's hurt. So this is Mm -hmm. probably like the first time that Vision's probably really feeling real anger about anything. Mm-hmm. As she's almost and, hurt, so I can he, see why he just you know goes nuts and attacks the surfer there.
0: No, it's true, and he's on a bit of a short fuse because of what him and the Scarlet Witch had gone through a few issues before with the like them specifically being targeted by uh, I don't want to call them racists because they did go out of their way to make this group of terrorists that was trying to kill them uh, multiracial. So I want to don't want to call them racists, but yeah, they were multicultural
2: They were multicultural, and, and they even said, "Doesn't matter our race or sex,
0: we just don't know? like anyone who's not human." Right, exactly. But um,
2: but like that, because like, for instance, like I, from what I remember, at least, there really was no real hot-headedness animosity in the Valkyrie swordsman fight, because they really have no personal connection to each other at all. They're just like, we're fighting, mm-hmm. because that's what's going on. So, in <laughs> God, I, yes. am not left- I am not left-handed.
1: Now, I know we've kind of gone off a lot of different themes and stuff. I just wanted, wanted to, I had a note about the overall structure of this story. Um, I don't know how much y'all have read of early Justice Society or even early Justice League, Um, but a lot of the Justice Society stories from the 40s and a lot of the early Justice League stories from the 60s, you would have um, a mission or a story or a problem come up, and the solution to the problem would be divvied up in a half dozen easy-to-handle steps.
2: And they would all split up.
1: Yeah, they would all split up and go off and do do their individual steps and you know it's kind of like you're playing Final Fantasy, you know, you've got to go take care of the one orb over here, then go take care mm-hmm. of the other orb over there. And so this story starts out feeling very much like that, but I like that even though it does the whole one-on-one fight throughout the story, it's not uh, it doesn't feel static to me. It feels like the story is building over the course of events, and that um, the emotional resonance of each of the each of the fights is different. And when you finally get to the, I think the third issue where Captain America and Submariner fight, then it's like okay, things really are not what we think they are, and uh, and things go from there. So it's it starts out feeling like something, but it doesn't necessarily hold true to that form.
0: It's interesting you should say that actually, because what this reminded me of structurally, more than anything else, was, uh, the face-offs in the late 60s between, my, my DC exposure is extremely limited. I have, I'm a lifelong Marvel zombie, so my, my exposure to DC stuff is spotty at best. But this reminded me very much of the face-offs in the late 60s between the Avengers and the Squadron Sinister slash Squadron Supreme, which I know were, you know, supposed to be a sort of rip on the Justice League. Very much so, yes. And then (laughs) also... Also, later on, um, this also reminded me structurally, and this was probably deliberate in the other direction, um, what reminded me of this or, or those is uh, when the beginning of Grant Morrison's run on uh, JLA when he had the uh, that bunch of aliens come down to Earth, and I have read that, and that followed a similar structure where individual members of the Justice League would split off and go face like one of the aliens out in the ocean or whatever. Oh, and yes. That- I think
2: they even did do the ch- – I think they even did the –
0: the chapter Teddy. such and such versus Wonder such Woman and such versus, with the logos.
2: Yes. Yeah. I think and that's,
0: right. yeah, and that's, that, that's what this really did remind me of. So it's, I am not at all surprised to hear you, uh, uh tell us, John, that, 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 uh, is a, a sort of classic feature of JSA, JLA sort of storytelling.
1: Well, I think it really is. There's even, one of those Squadron Supreme or Squadron Sinister stories that was either right towards the end of the Heart run or just after the Englehart run on the Avengers, where they actually had the opening page of the Avengers comic uh, laid out like yes. a DLA page with the yes. two columns of headshots on either side of the screen. Oh. and so, <laughs> so you had the just, you had the, um, the Avengers headshots on one side and the Squadron Supreme shots on the other side.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it was that was during the Serpent, Serpent, uh. Yes, crown the Serpent Crown. crown. Yeah.
1: yeah I, I was, I was laughing at that. That was great. Oh, <laughs> I
0: gotta
1: get to that one. I, I
2: have
0: still been read the Serpent Crown stuff and I want to read that stuff because that's when the Beast joins in Hellcat. Exactly, yeah. and, and I, I have actually, it's weird, I, I follow no order when I do my, like my classic Marvel reading, and I, I read that one I think as part of, I was trying to read every classic appearance of the Squadron Supreme in preparation for reading the Mark Gruenwald miniseries from the 80s, which I never actually read, I just got stuck reading all of those like, like individual <laughs> issues from the 70s. So, I still haven't read the, the, the Gruenwald miniseries, I'll get to that eventually I'm sure, but. <laughs> eventually. One of
1: these. I, you, you're, you're, you're not alone in that boat. I start so <laughs> many reading projects that never get finished. I mean, if I had a dollar for every reading project I've started. Um,
2: oh, yeah. I mean, I actually, half the issues for Avengers I read, because when I went back, like I said, for Defenders, I read all of the Defenders stuff before this. For Avengers, I only went back to 109, because actually I realized for some previous stuff, for the Captain Marvel reading, actually, I had read Avengers up until like 108 or one, or like 110, actually. So actually, I was at least caught up there. I was like, oh, good. This actually merged with that project. I could just start right here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: I do like to merge projects. I, I, I find joy in syncing up stuff that's completely unrelated except by time. Yes. So my Superman read-through when I got to the debut of Spider-Man, I'm like, I never did get very far in my Spider-Man read-through. I never get past the 70s. So I'll just reread the 60s stuff along with Superman, and eventually I'll get there with all of them. Superman and Spider-Man will get to the, the 1980s together. So yeah. yeah, and I'm reading and uh, the Transformers way, and GI Joe, instinct uh, with Wally West Flash, because Wally West Flash happened at the same time as Transformers and GI Joe, so why the hell not?
0: Wow, <laughs> wow! And Wally
2: West Flash was amazing, or at least, well, some of the early stuff I haven't really read, but the, once you get from Mark Wade on, it's
0: amazing. That's, I, you know what? I've been wanting to read the Mark Wade run on. Flash, because I remember dipping into it when I was reading Impulse in the 90s and thinking, oh, this is really good writing. I'm a big fan, and i never actually getting over to reading uh, any of the Flash stuff, so... Oh, that year one story was awesome. (laughs) But nevertheless. Nevertheless. But Um, anyway... Is it I just uh, me, getting back to Avengers Defenders War very, uh, very quickly, just, just taking a side trip into <laughs> it. And then we go back to so the PC. <laughs> okay. Good. But is it just me, or over the course of this, I know that this is still very early going for her presence in the storyline, but is it just me, or are they, uh, are Mantis's like powers very vaguely defined? Like she, they don't really at any point do much to establish what she can and cannot do.
2: Oh, they they're not just very vaguely. They're very, very, very vaguely. She does
0: it, stuff of her body. I keep, that she does. Wait a minute. That she,
1: <laughs> to be honest, she's never really that well-defined. Um, she has extreme control over her limbs and musculature. She can do really crazy martial arts fighting. And she has some low-level psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. And it's it's never really given form beyond that. She just... She's always this mysterious person who eventually is the secret to the universe.
0: Right, because I did, I did read that several years ago, did the celestial Madonna thing. And right. that was my first exposure both to her and funnily enough and also to the swordsman who I believe dies during that storyline. So yes. he does. Uh, and also was, we
1: get a really, really awesome origin story for the vision and the original human torch. you right smack yes. in the middle of that for no reason except that it's great.
2: Yeah, I think that, that. I want to read all, I want to get to all that stuff. I've never read that yet.
0: I had been aware of that origin from like when I was a lot younger and I was when it was brand new I was reading the West Coast Avengers and just about every storyline uh, in West Coast Avengers when it started out spun out of that weird relationship between Wonder Man and uh, the Vision and the original Human Torch and the Grim Reaper and these weird family dynamics informed just about every storyline that was going on in uh West Coast Avengers in its well, early that's days. that's
1: cool stuff me to look forward to because I've never read West Coast Avengers but it's on my list it's my Avengers
0: read through so Mm-hmm. Well, like when it. you get there, it's, that's that's where it all comes from. Yeah,
1: I hey like Al, as the- you go as you go along, Al, through these issues. Now that the Avengers have included Adam Warlock, they're on your friends list.
2: Yes, in fact, I was thinking <laughs> about. It. No, my question is this: Now, do I include all these issues, Avengers and Defenders? So, notice now Defenders have to be on that, or should I just include the issue that actually features Adam and Thanos? Which is Avengers, which means only Avengers is on the friends and enemies list. Well,
1: well, technically, he's only in the Avengers comic; it's just crossing over with Defenders. So, if I were doing it, I would only include the Avengers in the podcast. But if you want to do a Defenders read along too at the same time, why not? Oh, I'm because thinking it's of, Defenders.
2: I'm thinking <laughs> of that because actually, I'm really liking the Defenders book. I'm having a lot of fun with. I mean, the fact that there's this team is powerful as hell. I mean, they easily beat every one of the Avengers pretty much. It's a very
1: quirky bronze age but I, I had fun with the 20 odd issues that I read
2: I mean the only reason I, mean, I think that the Avengers get end up being a better team is because they actually work as a team the defenders half the time
0: just you know don't give a crap about each other especially the Hulk the Hulk just hates everybody and just a note on the Hulk I do have to say you know uh, the first the first time I ever read the Hulk in the late 70s Sal Busema was doing the art so Sal Busema's Hulk was the like definitive face of the hulk for me growing up. Um because I knew he drew it for a real long time. Now my the question I have and I don't know if either of you will 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 know this but Sal Buscema drawing the event the defenders at this stage in time I think that was the first appearance of the Sal Buscema Hulk, because Herb Trimpy was still drawing the Hulk in his own book. So for yeah. me, reading this was very, very, like, it was kind of like, ah, yes, and that is the Hulk there. I am very comfortable looking at this Hulk, because that's, the Hulk I'm used to seeing kind of a thing. So I, I that was kind of a, and then I thought about it, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is like before that was the Hulk, but cool, you know? But I want to say something real quick about Mantis again, then
2: I want to jump back into what you said, bring about art, because I actually want to talk about something about the art too. But for Mantis, reading her now in these issues, and the few issues of Avengers beforehand, when she does first show up, she seems to me to be like the ultimate version, because in the 70s, that was very much like the New Age thing started, yoga, chakras, all that stuff. And she seems to be, like, positive energy and vibes. And, like, she seems the ultimate example of the belief in that. Like, if you do all this yeah. yoga and you believe this and you work your chakras and all that stuff, you know, low level. Like, not like Professor X stuff, but, like, low level. Almost like she's the... Do He's giving her, like, what they would consider believable powers. Like... They would almost believe that someone could do this. Like, you don't believe anyone can fly like Superman, but you, you can kind of go with, well, you could almost be Batman. Right. And, like, and, yeah. and,
1: and if Mantis has tapped into the secret ways of the Tibetan, you know, belief system where they do theoretically hover and float and heal each other, then you believe she can do that. I get what you're going for, and I can totally see that because Steve Englehart liked 1970s mysticism. In exactly. fact, mm-hmm. he he wrote the first Star Lord story, and right, Star Lord yeah. was going to be the astrology superhero. Oh, didn't but know. he only did one he only did one one story before he left Marvel, and Chris Claremont took it another direction.
0: Yeah, as Chris Claremont would do with a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, he has his own ideas, and you know what? He's making money for the companies.
0: Yeah, no, and bless him, he was my favorite writer growing up, so, you know, absolutely, absolutely can't take that away from him. But she was also coming out of, I mean, this was still, I don't know if they, if this was in their minds at this stage in her history, or if it, like, but remember from, I remember from reading the Celestial Madonna storyline that she was also very much part and parcel of how Americans viewed Vietnam um you know this being part of the vietnam war and i think that eventually if not consciously at this point eventually got tied up with her like origin and her storyline like being from vietnam or something like that and so um i think that's also like weirdly that's almost polar opposite concept also i think is at play here in the presence of her character yeah
2: Either that or she just, you know, read those, you know, old comics from the 60s or early 70s and sent out for that coupon of, uh, John, what's that thing I remember you mentioned a few times? It's like, uh, the martial artist had like some guy's wife had learned.
1: Yubiwaza! Yubiwaza! Yes. That's
2: what I'm
0: thinking of. Yes. Thank you! Yes. With a pretty S.
1: Japanese wife.
0: Yes. Always the pretty <laughs> Japanese wife. Oh god, I loved those. They were amazing.
1: I mean, maybe
2: that's her real ability. She sent away for that.
0: Oh, well, maybe. they were always can I tell you, the, the, a lot of those uh, comic book ads in the 60s and 70s, especially in the Marvel comics, which I know were consciously aimed more at teenagers and college-age students than the DC comics in the Silver Age. Um, Are you the, saying the,
1: the, that the college students want darting pet monkeys?
0: I'm saying, well, the, uh, that's entirely possible, given I what a, they were getting up to it their, at their colleges. I want a pet monkey. <laughs> But, but my point is, is that the shame some of those ads the way they shamelessly went for the this pretty girl says do this sort of vibe was was like uh, completely off the charts uh, in those days.
2: But yeah, but that's my thing on Mantis is I think that's what he was going for. It Makes sense.
0: But having, um, having read the couple of issues before this where she gets introduced at the swordsman's side, it's interesting to watch as these issues go along. Those those hair antennae of hers sort of appear and become more prominent as we go along. Because they were not, in their first issue, they are not very, uh, pro- uh there. But and now, by 115 here, by Avengers 115, she's just, she looks like a full-on bug lady. What's her yeah. first one? 11? Uh, yes.
1: Well, she and the swordsmen are, are shadow players for a while. I don't know how far back you went, if you went, if, if you went to whenever they first appeared in the shadows or not. But they're like, Stalking the Avengers in the shadows for two or three issues before yeah.
0: the swordsman two, two shows issues. up. in the, Okay, yeah. Their first, their first little side uh, appearance was yes. She first appears on page ten of Avengers number one twelve. Ah, uh, okay. I was looking at one eleven real quick. One no one eleven is the one where the where
2: Magneto creepily ogles the Scarlet Witch. So we're oh, gonna, good. we're going to ignore oh, so that. So
1: she really they really have like just walked into the Avengers' lives like 5 minutes before this happens, huh?
0: Exactly, yeah. yes.
1: Okay, and just like... just just to get background for for listeners who are following our rambly tangenty conversation, um, <laughs> <laughs> the Swordsman was a villain who was sent to infiltrate the Avengers a long time ago and he's he's engaged in several times as a villain mm-hmm. and in the last few, you know, weeks or months of his life, he has off the page decided to go straight and decided Mm -hmm. to get his life together. And he sort of hit rock bottom and the mantis has helped him, you know, pull himself up and and get his life together. So when he comes to see the Avengers and says that he's going straight, you, the reader don't necessarily know if he's telling the truth, but he totally is. And Stephen Gohart takes the character on a really nice road of redemption. Mm -hmm. Um, even though he is backseated a lot to the Mantis, and not in the way he would want to be. And it was a
2: very... <laughs> oh, and by the way, I just checked, she does not have... Yeah, you're right, she does not have antenna at all in that first appearance.
0: Right, right. and And also, it's very odd to read. Like, it's funny, because, you see, I can sort of see, contrary to what I was saying before about what a hothead I thought he was written, as Captain, I can, I can really sort of see Captain America's point of view here, like with his constant ongoing distrust of the swordsman, not just because of their past together, but also because, uh, the, the swordsman just shows up and kind of demands membership in the Avengers and having not too long ago reread the entirety of Kurt Busiek's, uh, and, and Brian Bendis's run on the Avengers and having, like by that time in Marvel history, membership in the Avengers was was a primo honor. It was not something one just demanded. It was like sort of the highest, uh, a co- highest achievement that a superhero could aspire to in this universe. So I can like, in a way, I'm right there with Cap. Like, you know, who is this guy just sort of showing up and demanding to be a member of oh. Earth's Mightiest Heroes? I don't think so, Buster. He's demanding to be a member again, though.
2: I think that's the that's the loophole for him is that he was an, a member. Now, well. granted, he did join in the Wonder Man form of betraying them, but he still was made a member.
1: There so, is the whole once an Avenger, always an Avenger thing that gets brought up a couple times. And he did show um, up
2: in issue 100 to help them out. Uh, in uh,
1: 151, whenever they really open up the, the ranks to some new people, I think it might be the beginning of the end of that the Avengers are the cream of the crop superheroes mentality. Because mm-hmm. you, get, you get some... You get some oddballs.
0: Oh no, you get yeah, you're right. You're you get the a, beast the you get
1: you would get Hellcat except she walks away.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is annoying. It's like, oh come on. Hey, I remember I remember the very first time I ever read The Avengers in my life was in a Hulk annual from the early eighties when Jocasta was a member of the Avengers. So, you know, you really like that just about like all all level of as you say, oddballs had passed through the ranks. Well, you know, she's
1: there because Hank Pym has issues. Oh, yes. Well, she's there because
2: Jan's, you know, Jan's has a headache for the last few weeks. So Hank's like, fine, I'm making my own woman.
1: (laughs) You know, Ultron also has issues, I just have to say, because he's the one who's making a body with with one one, uh, Janet's mind. But anyway, so Avengers Defenders War. Um,
0: <laughs> yes, let's no, talk about let's uh, talk like, about uh, some of that for a bit.
1: <laughs> I really like a lot of the team ups, or or rather, you know, cross pairs that they Match do ups. in things. Yeah, yeah, yeah match-ups. matchups. There's some that are just so perfect, and then there are some that are just like, okay, well, we have leftover characters to do. But Captain America and Submariner, I think, are probably the best chosen match in this uh, series. And just to give a little bit of context, at this point in publishing, there had been no Invaders book right, yet. Right. So Captain America and the Submariner do not have a storied past with one another. Um, they've only met once, briefly, when Captain America was first revived from the ice, and he threw a punch at Submariner on the last couple pages of Avengers number four.
2: They, um, they would say reference here. They say that's the last time they fought.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And they were on the All Winners squad together for a couple issues right at the end of the Timely Superhero era. But unlike Submariner and Human Torch, Captain America did not go around teaming up with people. So there is no history between the two yet established.
2: And also, actually, because I was about to bring up the All Winners squad, the question is now, at this point in Marvel, have they established yet... That cap was in ice before before the all winter squad. Yeah, was that stuff the fifties?
0: Was that the the crazy fifties cap? Well,
2: no, that would have been crazy fifties cap. That would have been either Spirit of '76 or the Patriot. Oh, okay.
1: None of that's all of that's established in a 1977 issue of What If? That is still way far in the future.
2: So okay. yeah, because um, they haven't established yet that that was not Captain America in the All Winter Squad then. Right. So there, there's that. Yeah, but still, even so, that's like the extent that they work together. There's a few issues there, and that's it.
1: But even if that had been established, that could have been even less of them together. So I I say it's a perfect match, even though they don't really know each other, because they are the two timely heroes. They are the two timely characters who should, you know, go up against each other. Now, I do want to just play advocate for the devil for just a moment, Mm because I was looking again at the first couple pages of their story, and Captain America's in Japan, and they're telling him they don't want him there. He's like, hold on, I'm trying to save the world. And Mm -hmm. Submariner says... I've got the thing, you want the thing, you've got to fight me to get the thing. <laughs> and so Captain America's like, okay, yeah. fine, whack you with my shield. And then, Oh, that's it. great. So,
2: I love that. Just the, They're standing next to each other, just bam, in the face.
1: So I don't really think <laughs> Captain America's too much of a hothead here. He's just doing what he has to do to get the No, thing.
0: absolutely. I would agree with that.
2: Yeah, well, no, I'm not saying Captain America's too much of a hothead everywhere. He's just more of a hothead than I'm used to it being.
0: And speaking of hotheads, it is so great that during that fight in Japan, like you can't have that fight in Japan without Sunfire showing up. I know, I love that. The because biggest hothead. You want to talk about like nasty, like isolationist jerk face. Like the fact that he shows up and out jerks both Captain America and Namor put together is to me, just one of the best like high, one of the high points of this entire oh. storyline yeah, that Tom to Price, me was just great has always been a jerk I mean I think the only time he was never a jerk is
2: doesn't he fall for Firestar in an episode of Spider-Man and his amazing friends that's possible
0: and you know what there was I a think very- the only
2: time he's not a jerk <laughs>
0: there's a very short story in one of the X-Men anniversary issues. I think it might've been X-Men gold from a couple of years ago where he and Banshee bond over their shared love of Elvis. And it's a very short story uh, written by Fabian, the seas of all people, I think. But, um, I think that might've been like the one moment I ever read Sunfire, not being a complete dick. <laughs> He's a little cranky. Yes. But, um, but you're well, right I'm, about, I'm kind of right glad about,
1: he didn't last in the X-Men.
0: Oh, God, yes. But I'm, I think you're I think you are absolutely right. Not just, uh, John, not just about uh, Captain America and Namor being the perfect matchup, but also the fact that it, that is the matchup where the detente starts to crack. It's like it isn't anyone else who starts to figure out like, wait a minute. Some, it's Captain America and Namor, the two guys fighting each other who've known each other at this point for literally 30 years.
2: And probably, right, so.
0: yeah, and the guys who have the
2: most experience out of all of them there.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: they, they, they were doing that longer than any of the others were, so they are the one, but not counting Thor. But mm-hmm. Thor kind of, I mean, he does have experience, but Thor still at this point, I think he's still like young
0: enough as an Asgardian, he's kind of like, this is where I am now, so this is what I'm doing. Yeah, that, that, that Odin's son is still very much like, I don't know what you are, therefore I shall fight you. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, he's still very much late teen, maybe early twenties. As far as the Asgardian
2: Guardian would go, I would, I would consider him.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, Captain Namor at least do have a little bit more experience and maturity. You do realize, however, that if, um, if, if this, uh, The Avengers Defenders War had been published here in the second decade of the 21st century, that not only would each of these fights have taken two issues apiece, but a full issue and a half of the of a Captain America Namor fight would have been an, an Invaders flashback. You know, probably drawn by Howard Shaken.
2: So Uh, we would have had one. We would have had one shots and mini
0: series. (laughs) There would have been a whole event. We would have like three trades to read. Like I am just thinking, like as I'm reading this fight, I'm saying I am so used to reading comics the way they're written today. I'm so used to that that I was actually a little shocked that we did not get some sort of invaders flashback during this fight. That was actually something I had to stop and say, oh, oh yes, okay, that is surprising. All right, and.
1: Now there also is a um another matchup that I love, which is Hawkeye and Iron Man,
2: which mm-hmm. also fit. When you were when you said actually about how those matchups, I was thinking in my head. I was like, well, wait a minute. And I'm actually like, yeah, you're right. There's a couple that do fit really well, and there's one I can think of that definitely is. Well, this is who's
0: left.
1: Right. So so Hawkeye and Iron Man. They That's I mean they perfect. started out together.
0: Yeah. Right, right. Because Hawkeye, cause was, Hawkeye was an Iron Man villain, yeah,
1: yeah. Right, and in the comics, Hawkeye has much more of the personality that Iron Man has in the films, where he's the the sort of loner who's snarking off at everybody. So, um, the fact that he's a loner and doesn't really want to be on the Avengers and is kind of on the Defenders by default, but doesn't really feel at home there, is very much in line with his personality. But to have him go up against the guy that he started out going up against, to mm-hmm. me, is just is is a match made in the, in a Versus
2: Heaven. Oh yeah, no, that makes perfect sense that made perfect sense to me. I'm like, of course he's going up against Iron Man.
0: See, for me that fight was a little hampered just by the fact that I and this is just a personal opinion of mine. This is no reflection on any objective quality in the story, but I just cannot stand uh Hawkeye like pretty much ever. Like pre 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 Avengers disassembled, basically. Um I there is just not one moment of Hawkeye that I really liked the character. Um, I just I think he's just a, a, a loudmouth dick basically. Um,
2: oh, he well can as, be. Yeah. yeah, he can be complete. That's one of the reasons I like him though. But he he's not always a dick. He's, uh, I don't well, like, know. Like,
1: I, like that that's kind of his move when he joins the Avengers. But then eventually he gains respect for Captain America, and so it's friendly ribbing after that every now and then. But then but you're right. He he in fact. He's talking about in his speech balloon about how he's had women troubles. He he makes a pass at at the Valkyrie, and it does not go the way he wants.
2: But it didn't go horrible.
1: Yeah, it's not. But he's horrible. thinking about how he broke up with Widow and Wanda. He
0: was never with Wanda. Yeah, yeah. Wanda and That's, the Victor I were that did make me wonder. Now that, you like, mean, now that you mentioned it, I, that line of dialogue did make me wonder. He just One the vision
1: it. were trying to figure how, how they felt about each other whenever he came back from wherever and decided that he was really all mad about the Scarlet Witch and started mac on her and did the same thing he did at Valkyrie. He kissed her for no reason and the vision saw it all and so actually Hawkeye hampered that relationship while, you know, so yeah, he's, uh, he has issues.
0: Yeah, no. No, but here it actually didn't go off. I'm just thinking, you know, it's like I have doesn't, I don't have- but I don't, I, I, I have great, you know, missing bits of, of, of Hawkeye's history. I'm thinking, you know, then I meet him again during the Abuseic run of Avengers when he's hanging out with the Thunderbolts and fighting the Avengers. And, you know, it's just, he's always just like, you know, I'm going to show these guys that I'm worth taking seriously. And he's just, he's so insecure. I'm just like, dude, just, just do your thing and stop, like, getting all bent out of shape about what people think about Yeah. But, you know, that's just me. <laughs>
1: Maybe it's like a little meta, maybe he's responding to fan reaction to the character.
0: That could be, that could be, but I've been a big fan of his since I got resurrected, and Lord knows I'm with everybody else and thinking the Matt Fraction Hawkeye series is like the best thing that comics ever produced, but that said, most of the 70s and 60s, 70s and 80s Hawkeye just absolutely just rubs me the wrong way. So that to me hampered the Hawkeye Iron Man fight Somewhat, but not entirely. I mean, I can see why you're right. It's a, it's a matchup that makes perfect sense and it's a really smart move on Englehart's part. Just, you know, for me, I was just like, oh, okay.
2: And I can see somebody <laughs> reading the book
0: at the time actually being excited about that one maybe because
2: beforehand, you know, if they knew, as long as they knew enough or had read the older issues, because you knew then, okay, Hawkeye fought Iron Man, but he was the villain in the Iron Man strip. But now it's more of an even match now because he's not just the villain in the guy's book where you know he's not going to fully defeat him because Otherwise, the book's cancelled.
0: Right, exactly.
2: It's now exactly. they're both the heroes fighting each other. So now it's more like, oh well, now it's more of a. I would think it would be more of an even matchup. It's like, well, right. so now who's actually going to win here? Mm-hmm. Because
0: Listen, I have to say that said that is a pretty vicious move, Hawkeye pulls up uh, putting the acid on Iron Man's helmet. That is a pretty vicious move because that could potentially be lethal.
3: I mean, he doesn't. Know for sure on,
1: yeah, that, depending on the strength of the, and the type of acid, yeah. And I'm not certain, but I think even after he evaporates the liquid and the acid, I think uh-huh. you could still have a lot of chemical reaction going on there, just not as quickly or easily because it's not in solution. But right. I, I don't think he's actually solved his problem there. He's just slowed it down.
2: And actually, I think it was more a little more vicious even when he shoots the construction site.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, again, it's like... We kind of, we're not surprised to see Iron Man divert himself and save the day and I, like, save himself in the first instance and the, at least that one uh, construction worker in the second instance. But you're right, it's like, from Hawkeye's point of view, it's like, wow, what if Iron Man hadn't been able to pull either of those off? Then he would have had either the death of an Avenger or the death of an innocent bystander on his conscience, and neither one of those is, you know, every e- both of those outcomes are very possible, and neither one is 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 terribly uh, uh, hero like like sits well with the image of a self styled superhero. In well, my book,
2: it kind of works, makes sense then of how I, Hawkeye accidentally became a villain. Yeah. originally, he just yeah. doesn't think he, he doesn't, doesn't always think. think. Full. No, he, Hawkeye is. Hawkeye is going back to what you said about a character actually it made me think of you know the reason they named him that. Hawkeye is impulse. Thought mm-hmm. to action in one moment. There is no pause to think. It's ooh, do something and he does it.
1: Also in the Hawkeye Iron Man story, uh the Spanish is all correct.
2: Oh, it- <laughs> <laughs>
0: it generally tends generally especially in these days uh uh of comics the the foreign languages in my when they when they tend to write them in the foreign languages tend to be correct if a bit stiff like i would a have bit, been,
1: bit stiff yes but a lot of spanish because it has so many inflections and so many different ways of ending words a lot of those get misspelled or misused but oh, yeah. i could not find any problems with this well,
0: yeah, yeah no wait, that's what's spanish uh, here, where uh, where he, he he saves the construction worker, and the construction worker says, No se preocupé, hombre. You know, which... Um, Did I miss... Oh, yes, you're right. He does speak Spanish.
2: Mm-hmm. Never mind. I missed that panel then. I was looking back at... And it, also, I,
1: also the, the first page of the story, whenever they land in the town, there are lots of Spanish there.
2: Oh, okay. There, oh, yes, first, yes, yes. I wasn't there already. Oh, you're right. Yes. I was actually at the panel where, uh, the page where Iron Man was talking to the professor... And they say how everything is translated to English for us. <laughs> I don't think that's what you were talking about,
0: John. No, 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 no. That's yeah. what I'm laughing. We're magically okay. oh, seeing yeah. this. But see, I'm just curious because you know, um, having married into a Puerto Rican family, I have had many um, instances of being uh, informed of the differences between Spanish Spanish and Latin American Spanish. And that's the only thing I find myself wondering is if Engelhart went to say a Spanish language primer or some such in order to generate the Spanish uses in the dialogue here. And I'm sitting here thinking, hmm, I wonder if he got the regional inflection correct.
1: <laughs> see, that, I actually had a. a a, a minor wonder about that because there is one spelling here mm-hmm. that is an old, older spelling that a lot of regions have modified, and so I was wondering if, if well, is this the way it would have been in 1973 in Monterey, Mexico? I, I mm-hmm. just don't know. So, and and, if, and for those listening at home who who are wondering what I'm talking about, um, they use the word ustedes and they abbreviate it VDS instead of UDS, which. Mm. But, but VDS is the older way of, of doing that but anyways no big deal i was just impressed that he got all of his inflections off his spanish correct
2: and in mm-hmm. case anyone wants to check this for themselves just so we know this was defenders number 9 this is the yes, iron man off fight and i think also does this does this one also have is this the valkyrie swordsman fight no too? the other
0: half of this one is doctor strange versus the black panther and mantis
2: oh yes which i think i um, correct me john correct me if i'm wrong but for me this or Correct me if uh, this is not yours, but I think this was the, oh, we got people left over
1: fight. Yeah, this is the people left over fight for me. Um, well, I don't, Well, Doctor Strange and Mantis a little bit, because Mantis is kind of mystical.
0: That was what but, I was going to say. I was going to say I could see that. The throwing the Black Panther in there was really the sort of, well, what are we going to do with the black dude?
1: <laughs> right.
0: Because everyone else makes sense. Hulk and Thor, obviously. Right. You got the Hulk and Thor.
2: And yeah swordsman and uh, Valkyrie not just for the fact that yeah we got we get to do a sword fight but also it they're the most they're the newest to both teams really not counting mantis they are the brand new members you mm-hmm. know they're the, they are the newbies and they are also probably the least um what's the word I'm looking for they're the least emotionally involved in this fight against each other mm-hmm yeah
1: black Panther's I, been around for a while no
2: no I said Valkyrie and swordsman though
1: Oh, I'm sorry, Valkyrie and Swordsman. Yes, I'm sorry. I thought, uh, for some oh, reason, Mantis and Black Panther.
2: No, I just said not counting Mantis as new because she came with the Swordsman, but technically she's not a member. Okay. But yeah. anyway, like those are the new ones, Valkyrie and Swordsman. They're the newest ones. They have the least emotional attachment to the battle and everything of each other. It's just
0: we are fighting each other because that's what we're doing. I've just on a bit of a meta uh uh standpoint i uh, going back to you know black panther and mantis being a sort of a, a an odd sort of random matchup i think you might have hit on something there al because the fact is is that as as john pointed out and i agree with him that doctor strange is sort of best matchup within the um uh, uh Avengers, if a possible exception of the Scarlet Witch would have been Mantis, except as you point out, Al, she's not an actual member. So maybe in order, like, I wonder if they, the editors or whoever, might have thought to themselves, hmm, if we send Mantis off on her own, the readers might not consider her a representative of the Avengers, and therefore we have to stick an official Avenger with her.
1: That's possible. So oh, yeah, Ooh. okay. Also, Valkyrie and Swordsman both have swords. Yes, that's yes, yes, and, and having them fight out in the castle, I think, is pretty cool.
2: Oh yeah, that, that, I think that probably was the main reason for that. Everything else I said works too, at least for me. But yeah, that, the main reason for them is they both have swords and they get to have a cool swords fight in the castle.
1: Sword, sword, swordity, sword, sword, sword. And
2: it's kind of glossed over here, but the swordsman kills that guy. <laughs> does it? That's yes, right. yes. He does commi- right. kill the guy. He does kill the guy. He doesn't wound and he doesn't wound this guy or knock him out or anything. He stabs that guy.
0: Which is interesting because they go to such lengths. I mean, I think that in much of the same way that, that in, in 80s G.I. Joe, they were always laser <laughs> pistols, you know, to, to avoid, uh, charges of excessive violence, you know, oh, they can't be shooting bullets. They have to be shooting just like pew, pew, pew. Um, to the, to that extent, I got a very much a similar feel out of how hard they hammer the concept of the swordsman's sword firing energy bolts of various uh, varieties. So the fact that he actually winds up stabbing someone with the sword was a little shocking, to be honest. Yeah. Because he was using it as more of a projectile weapon.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Now, this does happen after he's been shot by the guy and pretty wounded. So, I mean, you can say maybe this is the swordsman not thinking, just, like, hitting right before he passes out, because that's pretty much what happens.
0: And to be fair, the guy had pretty well established himself as some sort of Nazi or something prior yeah. to that, so perhaps they also felt... It's not felt an like,
2: innocent. It's not yeah. just
0: a random guy that he's like, eh, you're pissing me off. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. It also does seem to be... Well, no, no. The way I look at it is the the swordsman is sort of like falling down and grabbing for the evil eye as he stabs the guy. I'm seeing that as a pretty conscious act.
2: Oh, maybe he just, you know, watched Firefly, and he's like, if someone tries to kill you, you kill them first.
1: <laughs> I think they should have taken the swordsman's sword and Valkyrie's sword and tied a rope between them, and you have sword chucks. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I'm not sure how you'd hold them, but they'd be really cool.
3: you
0: got to put something in the middle.
2: Yeah. I don't
0: Anyways. know. Anyways. What... The the thing about the swordsman is, you know, he so styles himself as this Errol Flynn kind of guy, you know, like with the mustache and everything. But the outfit just completely ruins the effect for me, especially after having seen like characters like Fandral uh, in, of the Warriors three and Asgard. And uh, also uh when re- I'm reading uh, Astro City uh, Cracker Jack, like guys who pull off that sort of swashbuckler thing it, with with so much better visual style like that swordsman outfit just never worked for me. Just he on, has fin
1: on his head. I was just exactly thinking
0: the fin. <laughs> like, I was Maybe. always trying to figure out is that supposed to be some sort of gladiator, like Roman gladiator sort of riff or what?
1: I, I, I will never understand having a fin on your head. Captain Marvel had one whenever he first started up and I was just like, one of the best things about going to the blue and red costume is he loses the stupid fin on his head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, I could see that because those are supposed to be like alien armor suits or alien space suits. But
1: still there's a fin on his head.
0: That's true. Now, the only people that, that if Namor's people had fins on their heads, I would buy that right? either as either as a cosmetic tribute to the mighty, you know, creatures of the sea, or you know, for actual water dynamicness. But yeah, I can. I, I'm with you. Generally, a fin is an odd uh, visual choice. Yeah. Now, I can go with actually. There's one character I can think of that has a fin, and actually, we were talking about this
2: briefly before the show, John. Uh, the Ray, because that actually was used for flight purposes.
1: Right, and I can see that. Like, the Rocketeer has that rudder. Same thing.
2: Yes, that's right, and, the Rocketeer. Yes,
1: I can see that. But if you don't need it, it's but, a really weird thing to have it. And, like, it's even, like, ancient-style Greek or whatever it was that had the... Th- Why? Why have this big, massive thing on your head? It's only going to make your helmet heavier. But it
0: looked <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, actually, Are, you sure?
1: that's, Are you sure it looked cool? Well,
0: That's that not far cool. <laughs> wrong, Al. I, they thought I togas looked cool. Think- they thought they looked good in togas, Okay. I actually think that the, that the, that the, the, those, those big ornamentations on the helmets were actually meant to be intimidating. I think they were meant to, like, like sort of a weird, de- the same way that birds that are fighting over a mate will display like plumage. I think that was supposed to be like, it adds height, it adds size to my profile, and it just, you know, like it probably in, in their parlance, it looks badass. <laughs> What's badass in ancient Greek? I, we're not too far from being able to look that up on, uh, Google Translate. Right.
1: (laughs) So, so our last matchup is the, the Hulk and Thor fight, Mm -hmm. which who doesn't love a good Hulk and Thor fight?
0: Uh. That's absolutely true. That is very much the stuff of classic stand by me nine year olds, you know, like sitting around like Hulk, Thor, who wins, you know, and then let the argument begin. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's just that it's completely classic. And they don't even... Yeah, they know enough. Because, you know, sometimes in these issues, they don't...
2: Like, they do the cover, and it's kind of a... They kind of miss the point. Like, Avengers 111, which is against Magneto, and it's Magneto big on the cover. But the entire issue is the mystery of who is the villain. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's the guy in the cover. You kind of miss the <laughs> yeah. point here. Yeah. Here, no, they are... Perfect. Hulk vs. Thor, right there, huge on the cover. It's right there in Front Street, and you know this is what's happening here.
0: That is sales out the wazoo. You put those two fighting on a cover, and in 1973, that is guaranteed number one book of the month. I guarantee you, if you go back and you look at whatever month in 1973 that this thing shipped, it won the sales charts that month. I would put money on that.
1: And I think it was a great idea for the story structure to leave the everyone else thinks Kumbaya becomes friends for the second half of the book so that you don't have, because I, even though it happens chronologically earlier, I think if you had that first and then change scenes to the Hulk and Thor fight, I think it would have dampened the excitement and dampened the enthusiasm for that. Whereas if you open with the Hulk and Thor fight and they're going out and they're about to kill each other and blow up the universe and everything. And suddenly the Avengers and defenders are there to stop them. And it's like, you know, Almost like your parents walked in on you and your girlfriend right, right before the end. And, and it's so, like, hi. There's a nice dramatic impact there. No. Yeah. And then you can go and find out why the Avengers and Defenders are there yes. and how they make it
0: friends.
2: No, I agree. Absolutely. That was a great
0: use of the chapters here. Was, this chapter is just Hulk versus Thor, and the next chapter is everybody together. I agree completely. And also, if you had been following the Avengers Defenders storyline from the beginning and you're reading this fight, knowing that some sort of understanding is starting to take place between the rest of the Avengers and the Defenders, that adds a sort of level of dramatic irony and almost, you know, in a way, a sort of uh, tragedy. Like these two, you're watching them fight and you're saying to yourself, they don't have to be fighting. And that sort of feeling of tragedy is like a feature of a lot of the best, especially stories featuring the Hulk. There's always sort of that level of this doesn't have to happen, but it is happening. And that's part of what makes his stories work so well. And I think that that is uh, uh, going on here uh, with the way they decided to structure it. So I agree completely that that was definitely the smart way to go. Yeah, I'm
2: looking at this fight. This is a great fight. I love the Hulk trying to catch the hammer, and it just knocks him to part the ground.
0: But with Thor with Thor being one of my favorite characters, and I just got to say real quick, one of my favorite moves that they pull with Thor as a superhero is that whole bit about no one can lift the hammer but Thor. And every time they work playing with that into a, a, a storyline, it makes me happy. They've never failed with it yet. And so for the Hulk to fall for it here is both completely believable and it just made me so happy to say it. And they don't... Okay,
1: okay. Can I ask a random off-topic question since you're a Thor fan? On yeah. this show? Never. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, now about Millie the model. Okay, settle down. <laughs> anyway.
1: So, based on, I don't know how well you are, I'm sure you've read it, but how well you remember the details of early Thor stories, mm-hmm. do you know when the name Mjolnir is introduced?
0: Oh, man. Because um... Lily and I haven't gotten to it yet. I I do not know for sure, Um, you know, and it's funny because under normal circumstances, that would be the sort of thing I'm looking for. But I was reading my way through those early through those uh, Lee and Kirby issues Um, like it was a couple of years ago. So I don't have a detailed memory of where it okay. breaks down. That's I'm curious fine. to know, it wasn't in his introductory story though, where he finds the, 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 the cane or the stick in the, in the cave in Sweden, I think it is. And, in Norway. And in Norway and, and picks it up. Uh, I don't know, I don't think it gets actually named.
1: No, in fact, it, it's a couple issues before they even call it Uru hammer.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Uru yeah. metal.
1: But, um, but anyway, so yeah, I just, we've gotten through all of the, um, all of the Robert Bernstein stuff.
0: Ugh. Yeah, yeah.
2: And
1: yeah. we're just getting into like Jack Kirby has the one lava man issue. Then he starts doing backups. And so we're not on the regular Jack Kirby stuff that starts around 102. We're not there yet, but, um, I thought if they were going to do it anywhere that the backups would be a good place to introduce the name, but, um, but I uh, yeah, to, yeah.
0: I, I do have to say, I, actually, I wrote an article about this for my own website a couple of years back um, about how there's a real decisive turning point. I forget the exact issue. It's still in the journey into mystery days, but there's a real decisive turning point where went, uh, the storyline, I think it's a two-parter, where the absorbing man sort of invades Asgard. And that's the point. Like literally, where all of a sudden they, it looks like they figured out what to do with Thor, and instead of having him go up against superpowered bank robbers or communists, all of a sudden they realize this guy's a god. Let's go Shakespearean and you know have lots of other gods hanging around and have him fight ancient mythical monsters and this, that, and the other thing. And from that point on, it is the Thor we know and love. But th- it takes a while to get to that specific point
3: where it does that sort of one eighty. Okay. Hey, this is Dion By, I'm here with my friend Jay Blake, uh, both of the Podwitz fame. We've got a new um, podcast coming out for you. Do you remember back in the day when having your friends sleep over your house was the highlight of your week where you'd uh, go out with your parents and you rent every movie under the sun and you'd get some Jiffy Pop? Uh, you'd max out that rental card and you'd uh, get some Joke Cola and stay up all night long watching more movies than you think you'd be able to binge watch? Uh, I do. Well, we've got a new podcast that you'll love. It can be found at saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com And basically what we're going to be doing here at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers We're going to be profiling new and old that we used to watch when we were little Yeah, movies from action movies to horror movies to maybe even new movies Yeah, whatever we think could be a forgotten gem or something that we think could be a cult classic We'll be seeing if the old movies still stand up, if they're as good as they used to be If we remember them, and if they warrant a second viewing for people So come on down and listen to us at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. That can be found, again, at Com. We'll be waiting for you. Later.
2: So, yeah, as you can imagine, with the three of us on this, we took a little while on the show, so it was well over a two-hour recording. So instead of trying to make this like a -a two-and-a-half-hour or two-hour-something episode I'm displaying this in half so be back next month for part 2 of our coverage of the Avengers Defenders War Resurrections an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast is a fan made production and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood How does this work now? I'm looking because Brian's back, so I click on the little plus that Says add people to this call. I typed his Skype name in. Mhm.
1: Did you double click him in your list?
2: Oh, he's not on my list. I gotta do that first, I guess.
1: He's in your contact list.
2: No, actually, we never we never had a bot. We never bothered with Skype because it's always been person.
1: y'all record in person yeah oh that's funny
2: so let me go to contact i just realized he's not my contact that's why Mm -hmm. there that's the probably why i couldn't do that because i'm like why is this not working now let me see if i can add him on i never thought about that it's been so long since i had to add somebody as a contact I've had you on for so long where, like, Chris or the other person who car were like, I haven't needed to add any add you. <laughs> You've just been there. Also, and all of a sudden, Brian's like, oh, yeah, I don't have you. Because I actually mm-hmm. literally drove up. we... He lived the town over. Okay. So I just literally... We drove to one mutual spot and met there and recorded. It works. So, laundry day, huh? Oh, can you hear it? Yeah. It's not that bad. Occasionally I heard a little in the back, thumping in the background, that's all. Yeah. The microphone a lot. Gotta do laundry. No, I know, I, I didn't the turtle's, uh, filter for while we we're recording. But he'll be fine, for, it's not gonna kill him for an hour or two. Besides, it means he actually gets to his food.
1: <laughs> Are we able to get him in?
2: I don't know. Uh, he, I sent the contact request, he said he's not seeing it. So I gave him my name. I am like, "Add me then." Here, resend contact request.
1: So how are y'all talking? If you're not contacting Skype.
2: Well, we haven't done anything since I have moved down here yet.
1: I mean, like, you're talking to him somewhere.
2: Oh, I'm texting him. Okay. But yeah, we haven't done any Skype record. You know, we haven't even recordings since I came down yet, since the whole moving thing happened. Right. But, yeah, actually, I have, a, I have to prepare later on. I have, a call, I have a recording tomorrow with my brother. We're going to be doing the, um, ah, there he is. We're going to be doing the uh, Silver Surfer, the, the Warlock episode of the Silver Surfer cartoon from the 90s.
3: Oh,
1: okay.
2: So I'm going to be smart this time. I'm going to watch that first. Then I'm going to see if I have time, maybe, if I want to watch the others to get, this, since there's only 13 episodes, so watch all of them. But for now, at least I'm going to make sure I watch the one I need to watch. Right. And then I'll worry about doing the rest. Okay, now add people to the call. Brian Zeno, yes. That's a call. <sighs> Yay! It's starting and to I work. Now I see him. It's starting to work. And you look like Superman.
1: <laughs> Sometimes.
0: Hello? Hello? Hey! There he is! There he is. Woo-hoo. It's working. And I can also confirm that my groovy little telecorder is also uh, showing a recording status.
2: Yes. And did you get my, the
0: note from me that says you were being recorded with call note? Uh, no, I see, I see a note here. I never got a, anything from you, but when I looked you up, it added you like instantly to my contacts and you have a little note under your name that says, recording.
2: No, no, you should have had a little box that just popped up and well, says, a, oh, yes, yes though, I did.
0: Yes I did. Okay. okay, goody. Your current recall is recorded with call note. Woohoo! Yes, and the NSA. <laughs>
1: Well, because they have so much time to listen to our Skype talks.
0: <laughs> about about comic books, yes. Right. Is there a well, way no, to request that, to use it as like a backup for recordings? <laughs> <laughs> just give them a call. I'm sure they'd be happy to share. It's, you know, it's all good.
1: Hey, NSA, call note failed. Do you have our recording? <laughs> you have it. Come on. Can I just have it, please?
2: Just
0: I just <laughs> we need to talk really need stuff. it. Lead us, lead us in song, Mr. Uh, Sedano.
2: Hmm. <clears throat> Alright, so I I'm guess I'm gonna do the intro here, and then I'll introduce mm-hmm. both of you guys are here. We'll do our mm-hmm. regular hello, pause for drop synopsis in, and then we'll just start talking about this sucker. Okay. Because it's a big sucker.
0: <laughs> big, it's a big palooka of, yes. a, of a story.
2: I'm assuming I'm probably gonna, it's probably gonna long enough, I'm probably gonna cut this and do two episodes. Oh, that's <laughs> That's fair. And apparently there's an argument from the peanut gallery over there. Sorry. (laughs) What the hell was that?
1: My my phone started making noises. I had to turn the sound sound off. Mm. It Mm.
0: felt like you were killing
1: something. (laughs) That's because it's really close to the microphone.
0: (laughs) Strangling his phone, apparently. That's okay. Uh, uh,
3: uh, It was the Dukes. It was the Dukes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh.
2: (laughs) All right. Breathe you hmm.